Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're never going to go through that life of success after success. So don't be swinging from the chandelier with a bottle of champagne and a big cigar when you're doing well. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. I've got Simon Grayson with me, former Blackpool Leeds and Sunderland manager and a, ho- and a range of other clubs too. Um, good morning, Simon. How are you? Yeah, good, fine. Thank you. Yourself? Um, uh, very well this this morning. Um, a little bit tired, but looking forward to this conversation. Um, don't want to waste any time, Simon. I just want to get straight into the heart of it. How did you get started with your coaching journey? Um, it was coming to the back end of my um, playing career, really. I was doing my badges from when I was about 30, 31 years old. Went on the courses uh, that the PFA, uh, the union for the footballers do for us. And uh, and then I got to sort of the age where I was um, about 33, uh, still playing at Blackpool in the first team. And I got offered to detect the reserves. Um, and and carry playing sort of like combined role. Uh, even on my days off when I was doing my badges, I would go into Blackburn's Academy and uh, have a day doing uh, learning from some of the coaches, taking a few sessions. And it's funny oh. when you look back on the people that were actually there at that time, that uh, people like Junior Hoylett, Jonathan Walters, Alex Bruce, and people like that have all come through to have good careers. So the experience of um, learning while I was still playing was was really good. And just you know, just curious within that time frame. Obviously, you know, learning while you're still playing. 
what were some of the key things that you started to develop as part of your own philosophy? And, you know, I'm sure you, you know, having gone through a playing career, maybe working under different managers and coaches, there were some key bits that you really started to, start to maybe attach yourself to before you actually came into managing full time. Yeah, I think, I think probably the sessions that you put on throughout every day from being a player, you didn't really probably analyse things too much, why they were being done, were there any, anything to do with the weekend's game previously or coming up uh, to improve technically and tactically. Um, so it was more about getting a variation of different types of uh, sessions, uh, learning the planners, um, and ultimately then looking into the bigger picture of what makes players tick. I think I was always looking at that, what managers got the best out of me and how they sort of... Uh, implemented their ideas and so it was the the social skills the man management skills um that you sort of start uh, looking into and i think you go then look, once you get onto your courses a little more little bit more detail it's more about maybe other signs of like psychology and nutrition and, and fitness yeah. and things like that you know you talk there obviously you're towards the back end of your playing career starting to get involved in a bit of the coaching side of stuff uh, eventually, you know, after playing for a range of different clubs, you've obviously ended your career at Blackpool, um, and then gone into your first managerial job by taking them over when you eventually hung up your boots. How, how did how did that come along? You know, was that just a for you or? Well, it was quite weird, really, because I was all I'd been offered an assistant manager's job at another club, and I went to Colin Hendry and asked him if it was all right if I could pack in playing and and leave, and he said yes. We were. The team were probably about halfway in the division at the time. Um, but then I went to the owner, Carl Oyston, to, to reaffirm it with him. And he said no, um, because I was, he was going to get rid of Colin Hendry and I was going to take over on a caretaker basis. So I sort of fell into the managing role. I thought the progression would be a progression of first-team coach, assistant manager. Would I be a manager? I, I never knew that. I wasn't sure if I could had the credentials, the um, the ruthlessness to be a manager. Um, but obviously, when I got offered that job, it was it was seamless, but it was still difficult at the same time because I'd got used to being in the dressing room with with teammates um, and then taking some of them in the reserves and taking the odd session uh, during the week. But then actually stepping into the manager's chair and then dropping these lads and releasing some of them later on in that season was, was not easy to do. But ultimately, it was about, do I want to be a success as a manager? Um, and I did. And you have to make difficult decisions. So what, just going through that period of time, obviously in your first couple of years as management at Blackpool, what were some of the biggest things that you kind of took away from that and that you, you know, really were maybe eye-opening times and moments for you to if you to kind of think about going forward in your career? Well, I think you've got to, especially when you're in a manager's job, you've got to manage the people above you because ultimately they make the biggest decisions. They, they keep you on. They, they allow you to bring the players in to, to get overnight trips. So dealing with your chief executives and your, your owners is, is a massive part of it. Um, I was very fortunate that I took Tony Parks with me, who was... Um, been on the first team staff at Blackburn for a number of number of years, been caretaker there for a long time, and I needed somebody exper- needed somebody experienced alongside me because, as much as I'd played the game for twenty years, it's different when you stood on that touchline in the hot seat, and um, you don't always get every decision right, and and you still don't now. But back then, when you're thirty five. I had an older head and a calmer figure alongside me that would guide and advise me. And I think he was the biggest uh, 
helped him at that particular time. And I think also you've learned how how the the owner was working there when I was playing. But ultimately, then again, going back to man management, what was going to be the best to get a group of players out, uh, the best out of them um, that were at my disposal. But yeah, just kind of build on from that. And you know, you spent three years at Blackpool uh, as a first team manager or working initially the coaching capacity. You've then found yourself uh, at one of your other former clubs, Leeds United. How did that move come along? Well, we'd done well in in uh, at Blackpool. We got promoted from League One. We 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 made sure we stayed up in the first season in the Championship, which was a massive ask for us to do because we were at the biggest of budgets. The following season, we were around about Christmas in a stronger strong position again. Uh, but then I got a call. Gary McAllister had left Leeds and did I want to take over? And um, Leeds was a club I supported. I played for them. So to go back to Leeds United, even though I was dropping down to, to League One from the Championship, was a, was a no-brainer for all the reasons mentioned. But ultimately, yeah. it was a massive football club that was not in the best position, but ultimately one that I felt that I could uh, get my hands on and, and really turn around. And it was uh, a call that I never thought I would expect to get, given the, um, being a supporter in the first place. Obviously, a bit of nostalgia there, and obviously, you know, having that personal connection to the club as well. Now, you know, you've you've gone on to manage a few different clubs in your time, uh, even ending up at Blackpool at one point. What would you say are some of the major things that you've taken away from, you know, working across the different divisions? Obviously, working in the Championship and obviously League One. Would you say there's major differences between? working in them aside from the, you know, the day-to-day stuff? Well, I, th- I think it's ultimately the players that you've got, that you're working with, and are they going to fit into your, your ethics, your philosophies, your style of play, your beliefs? Um, and ultimately, that group of players are a group of players that you've got to get the best out of. Do Does the certain group that you've got um, with your um suit playing a three five two a four three three four four two so that was one thing that you sort of you got to take on board you've got to look at the the expectancy levels of the supporters and the football club so there's everybody who supports a football club has got massive aspirations for their club to be do as well as it can do no matter what division it is no matter how many there are, there are. but if you're going into Sunderland where there's forty thousand supporters and compare that to, to Blackpool when I was first there and it was five, six thousand, then it is a big difference. So you've got to manage the people that are watching the teams. Um and again it, it goes back to what I keep saying is as well, you've got to get the best out of a group of players to help you get results. And would that group of players get um run through a brick wall for you? Would they take on board what you want him to do? And will they actually represent your beliefs on a day-to-day basis on the training pitch, but ultimately then on on uh, on a Saturday or a Tuesday when you're playing. Yeah, and you talk there about, you know, buying buying that or finding a way to buy in that commitment from the players, um, getting them to really, you know, tune into what you want and, you know, being a, almost uh, martyrs of that. How would you, or what would you suggest are some of the key things that you've been able to do in your journey that help players come around to your way of working and I guess really buy into what you're saying? Well, I think a bit of honesty with them. Look, you're never going to get every player happy when you're making decisions that the player's going to be left out, whether it's a league game or a big playoff game or something like that. But if you can tell them um, the, the truth behind the reasons for it, then that, that'll certainly um, help along the way. Getting players to come into work every day and enjoy what they're looking to do. Yes, work hard, which we certainly 
have done under under the teams that I've managed every day that we train. I want the high high standards, have a bit of a laugh and a joke, but we, we're there to work. We've got one sole purpose and that's improving ourselves. Any session that we're doing, whether it's a, a shooting sessions or an 11 aside or individual work with the, with the players, then do it to the best of your capabilities and ultimately that, that is going to improve the individual, but then it's going to give the, the opportunity for the team to be more successful than not. Mm. So, you know, coming back to your time now, you spent four years at Leeds. What would you say is the biggest thing you took away from that? Obviously, like, you know, linking back into it's where you started your playing journey. You had a personal connection, being a supporter of the club as well. What were some of the biggest takeaways from you during that period of time? Well, I'd like to think that the supporters um, really enjoyed the, the ride that we were on, that we give them something to cheer about. We We put something back into the football club with and left it in a better position than when I walked in from day one. Um, give them um, some real highs, um, winning at Old Trafford, winning, getting promotion, doing well in the championship. Of course, you can have some days where um, it doesn't always go right for you. But I think hopefully they saw an honesty and a, and a passion from myself and my supporters that reflected them. Because, again, supporters want to see a team reflect them because people spend a lot of money um, going to football matches home and away and they want players to be doing everything that they can to go and get a result for them. So uh, yeah. I think they're the big things that we put back into the club, the heart and soul of it, the passion, the drive, uh, but also the quality as well of the players that we brought in, developed and, and our style of football as well. Right. Um, so, you know, you're talking about, obviously, you know, some of the different experiences, you know, for every, I guess, young coach, aspiring young manager, uh, you know, that, that ambition of potentially being able to step on the touchline at Old Trafford one day will be a dream for all, I think. What was that like, you know, and obviously managing to secure a victory over United at that time as well? Yeah, look, it's, it's one of the best days that you can have when, as a League One club, you're managing uh, the team that you, that you love and you're up against one of the biggest rivals, then to go and actually beat them. Um, when they were the existing Premier League champions and we were a League One club and to come up against one of the most successful managers that uh, British football has seen was, was um, very proud um, and and, uh, and it makes you feel very sort of um, uh, lucky that you had a group of players that were desperate to do well and ultimately you've achieved something. And a lot of these sort of successful times that you have is doomed to down to a lot of hard work that you've done on the, um, at the home and training ground and you're often preparing for these games. And it's, it is, it's, it's a long journey that when you're a coach, you have to sp- sacrifice a lot of time and hours. But when you get that opportunity to be successful and play finals that I've had, it, it makes it worthwhile. Brilliant. So just moving forward, then you spent end up spending four years at Leeds. Obviously, that time came to an end uh, soon after you've ended up at Huddersfield. How did that move come around? You know, because it was quite, a, quite a, I guess, a, a quick transition between the two clubs. Obviously, having been let go of one and joining another. Yeah, it was just. Um, I think it was about two weeks. I was. Um, I'd left Leeds three points off the playoffs. It was a bit of a surprise that we'd, we'd lost our job, but you accept that that's football. And I got a call from Dean Hoyle, who was um, desperate to to take me there. They were they were in a top four of League One, so it was a surprise that Lee Clark got sacked, but ultimately he felt that I could maybe be the one to get um, Huddersfield over the line and, and get them promoted, as I'd done at uh, Leeds and Blackpool previously. Um, 
and ultimately that's what we ended up doing. We we won the playoff final against Sheffield United in a dour nil nil um, game, but ultimately a game that had the roller coaster ride of of penalties. We went right down to the to the two goalkeepers taking them. Um, Alex Smithies scores for us and. Steve Simonson missed uh, for Sheffield United and hence you get promoted. So it uh, came about quickly, but ultimately Dean's reasoning for doing it proved successful because I got them promoted as well. Definitely. I'm just going to kind of take you back to your own journey a little bit then. You know, you talked earlier about Tony Parks being, a, I guess, a almost a key influence in your early days of management. Have you, would you say there's anyone, you know, up till now, you know, you've, you've gone, you've done full circle, ended up at Blackpool and obviously that time's come to an end and again. Would you say there's been any major influences beyond Tony Pox that you could maybe talk to and, you know, go into detail around some of the key lessons you've taken from those people? I think you, you're just constantly um, talking to people and, and, and gathering advice and experience. I've got a, a close family that I'll speak to about things. I've, I work with... Um, a bloke who does a lot of psychologist stuff with me. Um, but ultimately, it's just speaking to people within the game and, and just having the odd conversation about things. From I've got good friends with like Sean Dyche, Chris Wilder and, and people like that who are doing really well in the Premier League to other managers down in League Two. And it's it's we're all in this in the same boat. We're all desperate for results. We're all still learning. We're still going on courses. We're still, going, still doing... Um, many, many, many things that are, are looking to improve us. I've got nearly 700 games, four promotions in 15 years, but does it mean to say that I'm not still learning and looking to improve and get better? So I think you, you're constantly wanting to better yourself. You have got a close network of people that you can turn to when, when you really need them. Uh, and that's what you, we, we all do quite frequently. Uh. And over over those years, you know, both now, you know, having experienced it as a player and now as a coach, when you now start to think back on some of the experiences you've had, would you say there's been any, I guess, bugbears or pet hates for you when it comes to coaching? Um, I I didn't really enjoy my time as a player at Blackburn under Graham Souness. We sort of he didn't sign me, but then with a group of players that he didn't really want to pick, so we were more or less outcasted and trained with the reserve team coach. And I've never really wanted to do that to players because I wanted players to be treated how I wanted to be treated. Yes, sometimes you're doing an 11 aside and you've got 24 players, so two are not going to be doing any work in terms of that actual body. But at least if they're with you most of that journey, then then that's fine. But it was a, it was a period where you just didn't understand or reason why you couldn't incorporate the other lads into what you were doing. So I think that was something that I didn't want to um, have a group of players at any particular time under my, when I was a manager to, uh, to leave and have them uh, in a different group and feel not part of, of what we we're trying to do, even though they were maybe not yeah. part of your plans, but you still kept them part of it as well. Definitely. You're kind of just building on that. And you're talking there about that inclusivity. If you I want money, if you could just go on a bit more detail in, around the fundamentals of your own coaching philosophy then? Yeah, look, I think I've always, as I mentioned before, a lot of the my philosophies, beliefs and um, ideas really want, represent what I wanted to do and how I was as a player. That I was a real honest player who worked hard 
had a bit of ability because I must have had some to play in the, in the Championship and the Premier League like I did and Europe at times, a few times. Um, but it was basically that honesty that I would give everything every time I put that shirt on. Look, I was never going to... Every player, when they go out onto the pitch, are never going to be uh, played 100% in terms of with the ball because there's never an occasion a game where you're not going to give it away. One bit of advice that somebody gave me was that you can never have a bad game without the ball. Ultimately, that means running around and tackling and, and chasing and, and stopping the opposition for playing. Yes, you can have a bad day giving the ball away, but that's when you've got to be mentally strong to 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 get through that side of it. But it doesn't stop you from running around. And and I wanted my teams to reflect that and honesty about them that they could see a team working hard and hopefully somewhere down the line, entertaining as well. So, we take you back to your time at Huddersfield. You've been just over a year, just over a year at Huddersfield before moving on to Preston North End. Now, another you know, historic club, Preston North End. How, how did that move come around? What you, is, there, is there a pattern and a trend that you're starting to see you know, <laughs> um, in between the clubs here, you know, um, in that... Very yeah. different clubs. Yeah, look, I th- again, I was out of work for two weeks and I knew Peter Ridsdale from when I was a young pro at Leeds. He was on the board and he, and he said, look, would you come to Preston? And Preston were in the bottom six of, of League One and it was a tough decision to make because if you didn't get it right in February to the end of the season, the team could have been in League Two and I didn't want to do that. But I looked at that the club, again, looking at uh, the people who were running it and... and um, could you be? Could you one survive that first season to make sure they didn't go down? But ultimately, then is the thing a platform to build off and make the big the, the club bigger and stronger again? And certainly, um, Preston was a club that I felt um, we could I could do that with my staff. And so we we did the first year uh, season and, and stayed up. And and you could see that there was a a football club fine tradition and history. Fan base had just dwindled a little bit because it wasn't being successful, but. You only had to get it going, and you knew that supporters would come back again, and hence yeah. we um, survived, as I said. And then the second season, we got to the playoff semi final, um, and then the third year, we got uh, which we lost to Rotherham, and then the following season, got promoted in the playoffs again. So, I think it's sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, looking at clubs and where they are and where they could be if it went wrong, but also more on the I was more on the positive side, had glass half full that. Right, it's reached a level now. You, you, you could be the one to bring them back to where they want to get to. Definitely. What would you say? You know, obviously, some of the uh, quite a big challenge, obviously, moving into a League One club, who are maybe trying to steer away from relegation into League Two. What would you say were some of the biggest things that you felt you needed to do at that time? to make sure that the players were on board and that things were being steered in the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, when I looked at the football club um, before I took the job, there was um, like a disconnection between the, the previous manager and um, and the supporters. And, and ultimately, speaking to one or two of the players as well, that, oh, getting people to do it on my behalf, finding out what was not making that football club successful or ticking and moving in the right direction. And it was that... There was this disconnection and a bit of unhappiness amongst the whole place. And- 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ultimately, it was about going in and getting a smile on the players' faces and enjoying the football again, supporters getting back on side. And if you can do that, getting players who are happy, performing, supporters happy, then you're only going to be moving in one direction and that's up. So uh, it was about the man management skills that we touched on and um, and then reassessing the group in, uh, in the summer to, to think where you can go with with the future with new players or existing players. Definitely. And as you come, coming on from Preston North End, moving into Sunderland, obviously trying to, uh, trying to I guess, fight for a, a way back into the Premier League after um, David Moyes um, sacked there. What, what did you find? What did you find were some of the biggest challenges when you went into Sunderland? Because obviously when Moyes was in charge, there was a lot of uh, people would argue quality players there, maybe just Sunderland couldn't get the best out of them for one reason or another. Yeah, look, I think go back to when I left Preston, I've been there four and a half years and we finished 11th in the in the Championship, two years on the trot and with a bottom three budget, I had a group of players that were outstanding, young talents that was coming through, would work, give everything for the shirt, uh, ultimately um, really enjoyed working with them, but and I had opportunities to leave to go to the clubs, but I never wanted to do that because I had a good group and enjoyed the football club, the supporters. But when a club of the size of Sunderland, an ex-Premier League club, come knocking, then it, it's sometimes too hard a decision to turn down. So I decided to go. I knew that it was obviously a club that had had a lot of negativity over a number of years. Um, but I believed in myself that I could be the one that would and could turn it around and get it back up, whether it's the first year or the second year, back to the Premier League. So that's the reasoning for doing it. Again, you you do your due diligence on football clubs, try and work out who the good people are, who the characters are, what's the negatives, what are the positives. Um, but sometimes you look at all them factors from the outside and you don't actually realise until you get in the inside how deep some of the negative signs how how deep rooted they are, and I think that was the problem at Sunderland. There was a lot of negativity from supporters of what had happened over the previous few seasons. To ultimately, players that didn't want to be there thought they were too good to be there, that had lost the drive and a 
and a hunger to, to go and give everything for the shirt because whether that's through just a football desire or financial aspect that these lads had earned a lot of money in the Premier League and uh, didn't really accept that there were championship players and that's what that's what the biggest task that we had and you have to then when you analyse them problems you've got to try and get rid of them a few as many as you can and bring new ones in but there wasn't the money available in the first place. We we brought in forty, fifty million pounds of transfer sales in that in the August window and brought twelve new players in it for one point two. So you can see the discrepancies between the, the money of ins and outs. And then you need time to be able to um change things around and time is a massive thing for any coach that you, you new ideas, beliefs, new group of players that you need that and ultimately I didn't get that which um led to my sacking in November. But then Chris Coleman came in and it and it was the same for Chris. He had the same problems that I had, that he couldn't get a group going and ultimately that's why the club got relegated. And sometimes you question yourself as a manager, you you, you analyse yourself, good times and bad times. But but ultimately I thought, well I couldn't do much more than I've tried to do. And ultimately when Chris didn't uh, wasn't able to keep the team up in the championship. It proved that it was a, a bigger problems than than the managers really. Just you know, just talking to that, then you know that 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 in itself, when you've got players who maybe been used to or had a history of playing in the Premier League, going down to the Championship, naturally some of them might feel, yeah, they're, they're too good for this level or whatnot. But you might just talk. There's maybe some of the challenges that did present for you, and you know, and, and I guess the types of resistance you might have had then in that because. A lot of coaches, a lot of coaches will probably say that players, as well as coaches, both have egos. Um, now, for a player who's been playing in the Premier League for a large part of their careers, and all of all of a sudden has gone down into the Championship, there might be a, a very big element of that which will come back to the egos. How do you how do you manage that? How, you know, what are some of the strategies that you've you've I guess uh, conjured up throughout your career? Well, you just try and. You, you try to get to know the individual, what makes him tick, what try and get a relationship with him, that try and get that out of him, that desire um, to 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 want to be to get going again and, and help the football club out and help his career. But if that doesn't come, if you can't get that, from, it has to come from within that particular player. And if if that isn't going to happen, then the only way that you can really change that mindset around is probably moving the players on but ultimately when players are on big money and nobody else really wants to pay the money as in fees for them and, and the wages it's very very difficult you're very you're stuck in in a very difficult position you keep fine trying to find different ways by getting them on board but it's it's an inner desire that an attitude and, and commitment that make the real top, top players, the players that they are, to, to players that are just journeymen or, or mercenaries. Mm. So to kind of, just to kind of build on that then, what would you say is one of the biggest challenges or has been the biggest challenge of your journey so far? And if if it's something you've been able to, then great. How have you gone about dealing with that? Well, I think, I think the Sunderland one was a massive um, uh, challenge of of all the, the things that we've spoke about on and off the pitch. Um, and it, time is what you need. You need, you, you finished in August, the window, and then you ultimately then um, uh, wait for January to come round and you then want to tra- change that group of players around or even get more out. But ultimately, 
when you're not given that time, it's it's a short period. It's it's very more difficult. So I, mean, I was only there four months or so, five months. So to get any success from it was obviously going to be very difficult. I think on another personal, um, um, when I look on my journey as a manager, that um, a, a, a position where we've been struggling or something has gone wrong, then to regather again was when I was at Preston. We lost the last game of the season to Colchester to get automatic promotion. Players were really down on the bus going back and I had to use my man management skills to get the players up again and ready for the Thursday night to to then play in the semi-finals to get into the championship, which we managed to do through many different reasons. But then also then the club had never been promoted in 10 attempts at the playoffs. So you have to deal with all that sort of negativity around but to put your, mm. your positive energy your, your positive thoughts your positive process reflects on the players supporters and ultimately we did we won 4-0 in a playoff final so from suffering the disappointment of losing last game of the season to suddenly winning a playoff semi-final 4-0 on aggregate and then winning the final 4-0 is uh is up there with one of the biggest sort of achievements that i've had Brilliant. And you touched on earlier, you know, about uh, I guess that continuous professional development. You know, keep learning, being around other coaches, attending courses. Just kind of to follow up on that, then, you know, what would you say is something that helps you stay inspired and keep motivated to be your best? Um, pr- to prove people wrong sometimes when you've you lose your job and uh, you you've had a desire because to be successful because most of my career up to the last couple of jobs has, has been on a, a real upward curve. Four clubs I had, four four promotions I had. So somewhere down the line, it's obviously going to not continue like that. But ultimately, it's how you have to keep progressing as a coach, manager and, and a desire to be successful. If you haven't got a drive and, and hunger for football, then you, you're not going to be a manager because it's so time-consuming, not just... The, the, the match days on a Saturday, Tuesday, it's your training sessions, all the, the media stuff, your meetings with chief executives, agents. It's really, it, t- it takes over your life, but it's something that I, I've loved doing and and carry on doing. And, and even when you are out of work, you you go to, uh, well, when you're allowed to because of the COVID, you, you go to watch other clubs train. So, like when I was in between jobs after leaving Sunderland, I went up to to Newcastle to see Rafa, I went into to, um, Burnley, went to Paris Saint-Germain, uh, went to Norway, just to see different coaches, different ideas, just to get out and about and just to make sure that you, you're educating yourself and you're keeping yourself out there with people that you know and, um, and improving yourself. So, you know, you talked there about, you know, leaving, leaving Sunderland. You've not left Sunderland, you've spent a very brief stint at Bradford City. Um, how did that come about? Why was that so brief to start with? Well, I had plenty of opportunities to go to, to other clubs as soon as I left Sunderland in, in November, I think it was. Um, but I had four or five months of just doing different things because I'd gone more or less continuous, as you can tell me, on my journey from playing straight to management and then mm. a couple of jobs where you got sacked, you're only out of work for two weeks. I had a few months off to give myself a recharge my batteries a little bit and then just felt that... Bradford were in the top six of League One. Could I go there and, and get another promotion? Yeah, I thought that. But again, probably didn't do my due diligence of the people running the club. 
um, because there's a lot of again disconnection and negativity around it from supporters to some German owners that were there and they wanted me to sign a three-year deal. I, I said I'll sign it till the end of the season, February to the end of the season, with a view to extending it from then in my favour. But it, I could just sense it was the club was on a downward spiral and it was very with the owners and, and um, the supporters being disconnected. It was going to be very difficult to him to get it going and hence that season um, that, that summer I left um, the following season they got relegated and I could see the signs when I was there actually came through to to fruition which wasn't nice for the, the supporters in the football club but that was a decision that I met, made and, uh, and I don't regret making it Mm. And you talk there about doing the due diligence before you're going into a club. What kind of things are you referring to on that? Note? Well, you look at your players. You've got sort of how, what training facilities, what staff they've got behind, um, how how honest, how open. Um, are you going to get on with the chief executives, the, the owners? Um, what's what's happened in the past with the football club? Has it been a little blip or is it a downward spiral all for a long time? Mm. So many, many different things. I speak to you. You, you sometimes. Maybe speak to players that were there the previous season, or maybe a, a previous coach was there, or somebody who maybe knows somebody. Just a little bit of research, really, to, to give you a bit more attention to detail of of, um, of what you're going into. Right, and you know, just to kind of talk on it, you know, just delve a little bit deeper. Then, when you're now getting a pro- being approached by these clubs. Obviously, some of these some of these situations require you potentially to have an interview. What are some of the things that you think uh, are important when going into those situations? Well, I think when you're speaking to the people and the clubs that you're going into them, you want you need reassurances that you're going to uh, be able to um, give yourself the best tools and opportunity to make that club successful. And mm-hmm. and and that's not easy because um, some some people then will say one thing, but then ultimately sometimes you change the mind or or of a different viewpoint once you've you've signed uh, your contract. And uh, that's what you've got to be very careful and try and get that honesty between uh, and relationship with the people above. And that's why I've said earlier that managing the people above you is so important that you've got the respect for each other and you work together and not, not in different directions. So um, um, you, you look at it and you're obviously wanting to do as much as you can in terms of can we improve this department can we do can we improve this department can we do this can we do that it's all about sort of putting all the pieces of the jigsaw together not necessarily overnight but have a long-term view of planning things which is not that easy in this modern day football because of people don't give you time that you used to do Mm. and just kind of build on that then is any particular Things that you're always you've always got in your hit list of questions to ask when you're going into those interview situations. Um, yeah, I think it will do. I think I've, in terms of one thing that I've been very clear on when I've been going into uh, new clubs is that I've always liked at least one person um, who's who's worked with me because they know how I work and I know what how they work and it's been very successful with a certain group of individuals that have been with me for uh, a lot of the clubs where I've been successful so I think it's, I think enjoy having working with certain people I've not got an entourage of six eight people that you have to take with you because that's very difficult financially for clubs to do that but a little bit of um, 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 having somebody alongside you that will get the best out of you and you will then. 
and just you know just to kind of build on that then is it any particular is it a particular requirement for you which department that start the member of staff works in or is it always tend to be for you your assistant coach yeah it's probably more the assistant first team coach really that um that you attack with me and it's not always the same person i've had couple of lads who've been my assistant or the other one was a first team coach then came with me to another club as assistant manager so depending on sort of budgets and what football clubs you're at and where they are sometimes maybe when you've left another football club sometimes they moved on to another job in the meantime and and they, they can't come with you so it's really that sort of that closeness and that relationship you have with an assistant manager that he will tell you if, you if he thinks you're making the wrong decision with a, with a training session, dropping a player, picking a player, um, yeah. recruitment or whatever, because of that brutal honesty that you need from, from assistant manager. You don't want somebody that's going to be just saying yes all the time. So I think if you can, you have that one, it's a massive part for you because you have to trust the people who are working with you. And if you're going into a club with news, with existing staff there, then you it takes a little bit longer to, to get their trust and, and you and them to trust you as well. Definitely. Um, interesting. Just we started to kind of wind down now. I just wanted to ask, you know, going back to your journey, now, going back to the start of your coaching journey, you know, obviously transitioning from a player into a coach, knowing what you know now, um, almost, you know, was it almost 15 years on now? What is there anything that you'd, any messages that you'd want to give yourself when you were starting that coaching journey back then, if you had the opportunity to go back? Um, I think, I think when I look back, I did a lot of the things that I would probably do now in terms of, I'm, I'm a big um, believer, as I said there, that if you're a first time manager going into a new club, get somebody alongside you that's been there and done it as well to advise you because it is a, you might think you know everything and you you can watch every game that's on the TV. You can do the sessions after sessions, but to have somebody alongside you that will can advise you, guide you, I think is really, really important for somebody. And I think that, and obviously I did that with Tony Parks. So I think that was, I was really pleased that I did that because if I hadn't done that, then my journey would have maybe could have been a lot shorter and, and certainly not as successful. Um, there's going to be certain situations that you're thinking, well, could have handled a little bit different. But there's going to be, without a shadow of doubt. But I'm not quite sure off the top of the head that there's too many that uh, that I can remember because I've had Tony alongside me to 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 help me along the way with them. Uh, and then just to kind of you know build on that, then if you had 60 seconds now to leave our listeners with one golden nugget on their journeys, what would that be? Um, basically, to to work hard, be like a sponge. Always want to keep improving. Do as many courses that you can, whether it's from watching uh, Guardiola masterclass, a Klopp masterclass, technically, tactically, but also then watching a documentary on another coach in another industry, how their man management skills might work, and how what makes them tick, their drive, their enthusiasm. Just keep learning all the time, but enjoy it as well because. If you get the opportunity to be a coach at a level, but ultimately a coach at a, high, a level that's in the EFL or the Premier League, then you people will be desperate to, to change places with you because of that opportunity. Everybody wants to play at the highest level professionally and ultimately to coach and manage as well. So grasp that opportunity, work extremely hard, 
But ultimately as well, probably the biggest thing that I've done throughout my career, maybe as well as a player, is that I've never got too carried away with success and never too down um, when, we, when we've had some negative results. You, it's, you're never going to go through that life of success after success. So don't be swinging from the chandelier with a bottle of champagne and a big cigar whereas when you're doing well. But ultimately, on the other aspect, don't be too down and... Um, because if you are, players will see that and that will have an effect on them. So try and be very level-headed as much as you can do. Brilliant. And, you know, you're currently not at a club. What would you say is the next step for you then? Well, it's going to be waiting for an opportunity. Um, um, unfortunately, in our line of work, is that you're waiting for somebody's misfortune of losing their job to allow you the opportunity to come back into it. So I've got hunger, desire. Um, as much as I had when I first started 15 years ago. I want to add to my seven, nearly 700 games I've got and promotions that I've had. I, I want to go back. I've got to wait for that opportunity. And, and maybe yeah. then prove one or two people wrong that the reasons why they got sacked at uh, Blackpool recently. So I've got a real... I've always had a, um, uh, a philosophy of... of wanting to prove people wrong to a certain degree when it's not worked out well, when even as a player. But ultimately, that inner desire myself that I know I'm good and I want to keep improving and um, and be successful and be looked on and something in the past of somebody that was had a good career. Brilliant. Just kind of, you know, on that final note then, you know, still very, I guess, in the, uh, in the middle of your, I guess, your coaching journey, your managerial journey, when you do eventually get to the end of that journey and you call it time on that, what would you want your legacy to be? Well, hopefully a successful one, um, which even if I finish now, I think to, I would class my managing career as a success that to have four promotions. I don't think anybody else has managed that in League One and to have managed Leeds United and had some great results. I, I can look back that I've had a successful career, but ultimately... Um, I want to be judged as a person that people enjoyed working with me, that trusted me, thought I was an honest bloke, approachable, that would tell him as it is at certain times. Um, so, yeah, an, an honest, down-to-earth person who who give his all for every football club that he worked at. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, 
or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.